1: Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me again this weekend. I'm glad you are because I think we all need a bit of a venting session, don't we? Uh, we? We have all probably by now seen that Knicks game, the Bulls versus Knicks the other day. Monday night, Bulls visiting the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. It should have been a guaranteed win. For this Bulls team, expectations was for it to be a Bulls win, but of course, somehow, some way, the Bulls blew that one to the Knicks. I don't know how that happened. I, I I'm still, it's, I'm still lost for words. I'll put it that way. I, I didn't want to record a show straight after the game itself because I probably didn't know where my mindset would be. It was probably all over the place. I know Bulls Twitter was raging and it was completely justified, to be honest with you. So I didn't necessarily want to double down on that in the moment straight after the fact. So I've allowed myself for maybe 24 hours here to recollect my thoughts and just think a little bit more about what, where this sort of team is at after the first three to four games of the season, obviously the Knicks game did not go to plan, but it wasn't just the Knicks game. We've obviously seen some bad basketball from the Bulls to start the season, obviously that which we've covered in previous episodes, but yeah, focusing in on this Knicks game, I mean... This was another game where the Bulls should have won the game despite not everything going their way, much in the way things didn't go their way in their first game of the season against the Charlotte Hornets. We all remember the Hornets drilling 23 threes against the Bulls, but despite that, the Bulls were still up by 10 points in that game and had the ability to close that one out. If they just played some competent basketball, obviously we know they did not do that. And it was a similar story against the Knicks here the other day where the Knicks were absolutely pounding the Bulls on the glass, mostly on the offensive glass. The Bulls gave up 25 offensive rebounds to the Knicks, which is just deplorable. You don't really, rarely do you see a team get over 20 offensive rebounds in a game. That's just crazy. But the Bulls were just completely dominated on the glass in the same way that they were dominated behind the three-point line against the Hornets. But despite that, despite being absolutely destroyed on the glass, the Bulls were still in a winning position. It was 98 to 90 with three minutes and 33 seconds still left on the clock. So from that point of view, based on the competition they were going up against, you would assume an eight point lead, which the Bulls potentially could have built upon, would have been enough for the team to carry out and and win this game against a a Knicks side that we all imagine to be worse than our Chicago Bulls. But for whatever reason... They didn't score for the final three and a half minutes of the game. The Knicks went on a 15-0 run to close the game, winning the game 105-98. It was completely unthinkable, and I guess what made it worse was the fact that it was Bobby Portis that was doing all the damage. He completely killed the balls at the end there. Well, really, throughout the game, he had a 28 points, 11 rebounds in this game, so... To use a t- traditional Boylanism, it was almost a double loss for the Bulls in the sense that they lost the game. They were embarrassed, but the the fact that it was Bobby Portis doing the, uh, the damage, that made it even worse. But without sounding like a broken records of sorts, it's not necessarily the fact that the Bulls lost that irritates me and probably irritates you, the listener. It's the fact that how they've gone about their lo- their losses here and maybe who they're losing these games to because we all came into this season expecting the Bulls to hit the ground running and to have a really legitimate shot of, of racking up these wins and maybe pushing towards the playoffs if that was truly their goal they were going to need to rack up these wins at the start of the season and I think we were all pretty damn confident that the Bulls could at least come out of their first five to six games with a winning record and They still may. It's still possible, I suppose, even though the team is sitting 1-3 and right now. Their next two games are somewhat easy, let's say, with the game against the Cleveland Cavaliers later tonight and then obviously the Detroit Pistons coming up later this week. So they are possible games where the Bulls should potentially win, bringing the team back to a 500 record after six games. But even beyond that, I think we all had expectations of this team at least being maybe 4 or 2 after the first six games given their relative competition but they haven't they've dropped games to bad teams and it's tough to watch as a Bulls fan because we all had those expectations those high expectations and it makes it even harder to watch when you see other good young teams out there doing good things and playing much harder schedules playing against much tougher competition and actually having winning records or or, or breaking even at a 500 record right now. I'm thinking about the Atlanta Hawks, for example. They've looked really damn good over their first few games in the season. Unfortunately, Trey Young has has rolled his ankle. I don't know how serious it is just yet, but he rolled his ankle against the Heat. That's not great for the the Hawks, but prior to, to Young getting hurt, they were looked pretty damn amazing, and their losses have come to the Miami Heat and to the Philadelphia 76ers, two teams we expect to be playoff contenders for in the Eastern Conference. And if you think about the Dallas Mavericks, they are 2-1 right now, with their lone loss being to the Portland Trailblazers. They actually lost that game by two points. I'm recording this as the Mavs are playing the Nuggets. They're in that game at the moment, so who knows how that sort of shapes up. But even if they were to drop that game, they would be 2-2. Two and two with their losses coming to two playoff teams out in the Western Conference in the Blazers and the Nuggets. So I don't really buy any excuses for the Bulls right now. I don't see any real excuses that I'm prepared to give them or justify their actions with because the teams they have been going up against have been really bad, (laughs) like really damn bad, like bottom of the league bad. I can accept that Toronto Raptors lost. The Raptors are a good squad. The Bulls are on a back-to-back. Maybe you can live with that one. But these losses to the Hornets, this loss to the Knicks, and even in their lone win against the Memphis Grizzlies, they just got past the Grizzlies in that game. It hasn't been a good start for the Bulls. So what I thought we could do here, rather than just listening to me vent here, is maybe have a group Bulls HQ therapy session of sorts. So what I decided to do was get the pulse of the fan base. And like I mentioned, after that Knicks game, the fan base was raging, and I'm sure that is still the case, but I wanted to do a... Bit of a mailbag type style podcast, but maybe a little bit a little bit different in the sense that I've actually got a few calls or a few audio messages here from some listeners as well that I'm going to include on the show. So let me go through all these now. We've got quite a bit to get through, and I'm sure the ones that we've received are are quite fitting and representative of what the fan base is feeling right now. So let's start and let's kick this off with one of the uh, the primary reasons why the fan base is upset right now, and that's to do with Coach Jim Boyle, and I think he along with maybe Zach Levine and Larry and they're probably the the primary offenders right now as to why this team isn't performing up to expectations. So we'll go through those key elements of the team's failures thus far in the season. And let's start with Jim Boylan. And we will start with a voicemail that came through from Elias. So let's listen into what Elias had to say here. Hey, Mark, this is Elias from
2: Chicago. Just wanted to talk a little bit about the Bulls. I have a question for you. Uh, When... Do you think it's time to get rid of the Boylan experiment? Right now, it seems that he doesn't have answers, um, and he should have had answers during uh, the summer and preseason. And it seemed like everything was going okay in preseason, but they didn't play tough uh, competition. It's preseason, so who cares? But when do you think in the the basketball timeline in the in the year timeline? Do you think it's 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 time he's gone? Personally, I wouldn't have given him an extension nor brought him back. I would have done a, a full search for you know a head coach that had experience before and um, and maybe has the kind of acumen for today's uh, modern style. Uh, second question: Considering that Boylan has been considered a defensive type coach. What do you think are the problems with defense? Uh, even before he took over as head coach, but even during the Hoiberg the, um, era, the defense wasn't that great at all. And I don't know what his style of defense is. I don't know what his emphasis is on defense. I think that's one of the problems with the Bulls is I don't think they have a defensive identity or know what that is. I think it's a mismatch of a bunch of stuff. Anyway, that's all I got. Always a pleasure to hear your podcast and to see you on Twitter. Have a good one.
1: All right, well, thank you for that, Elias. So follow Elias on Twitter at Elias underscore Z I or Z I for you Americans out there. And it's it's a really good question. It's a great place to start because as of uh as I've made pretty clear on this podcast before, this pod is definitely not a pro Jim Boylan podcast, and I think Despite myself and many others giving Boylan some praise based on how the Bulls were performing in preseason, obviously the opposite is happening during this regular season here. So in terms of the Boylan experience, Elias, I mean, I did not enjoy it last season. I thought it was a complete sham last season. The fact that the Bulls decided to retain him beyond just the one year he had remaining on his deal, they gave him a three-year extension. That was kind of crazy to me, given the fact that the Bulls haven't actually seen... Boylan coach a proper NBA team obviously last year was a bit of a like I said it was a bit of a sham because the team was tanking towards the back end of the season obviously when he took over the way he sort of decided to take over I suppose completely left left the team in a bit of a rabble so based on everything that we saw from the coach last season as to how everything unfolded how they how management justified the idea of giving Boylan a three-year deal made no sense to me at the time I was okay with giving him a pay rise, given that he was essentially being paid like an assistant coach, despite now being in a head coaching role. That was that was something I was fine with. But let him go into that last year of his deal, and let let him see, or let yourself see, what you had in Boylan as a coach, and not necessarily commit to three years to this guy. Given the importance in this stage of the rebuild that the Bulls are currently going under, I thought it was nuts that they decided to extend Boylan to that amount of years. But look, they've obviously done that. They've made a commitment to Boylan. Should he go now? I don't think so. I think it's very similar to the Chris Dunn experience in the sense that the time to move on from Boylan or the time to move on from Chris Dunn was in or during the offseason. That was when you should have made the clean cut. I think now given that both obviously are, are hanging around there's a bit of a synergy there where it's probably too early or too you can't really justify doing it now given that you made that commitment to that player or to that coach at that point in time. If you wanted to make a move you should have done it a few months ago but now's probably not the right time. I think it will shake things up too drastically. The team is obviously going through a whole bunch of crap right now so I think If you were to remove the coach now, it would just cause an unnecessary level of unrest. So I think Boylan deserves a little bit more time here, but I don't know how long of a leash he does deserve, given what went on last season. The team obviously only gave Hoiberg about 25 games last season before they canned him. Maybe Boylan gets a similar time period here where he gets the first third of the season to see what happens. But I tell you what, if the losses continue to rack up, maybe that perception changes a little bit. But as to the second part of your question, Elias, the defense, the lack of identity and what Boylan wants them to do, I think that is a fair question as well. And I will answer your question. But before I do, I also want to throw to this audio question that we got through from Daniel. So Daniel asked a very similar question. And in a lot of ways, Elias, he actually answers your questions about what the Bulls have been doing on defense. So let's throw to Daniel's question.
0: Hey, Mark, Bulls Nation, Dan from New York here. Just had a question with the defense. Last night versus the Knicks, it was looking like the closeouts were a bit better in the first half. And then, you know, for the majority of the young season, they've been really, like, blitzing the screeners and trapping, doing a lot of doubling. Instead of switching on them, you know, you're even just playing straight up, and it's made for so many mismatches. Like, opponents' bigs are being left with our point guard's, Guarding them under the rim, around um, weak side rotations, players have been left wide open for threes, uh, which they're hitting a remarkable amount of. When they don't get back to their assignments quickly enough, they're just you know giving up easy ones. But my question is to you: Do you think this is something that Coach Boylan will adjust for on the fly, like either during games, or try and make actual different schemes for different teams that might fit the way they play better? I mean, it'd be logical and rational, right? Like, or will he just like drill this into them and try to make them be better at this one thing that he's had? So my other question is what you would do differently. So that's it. I think better times are ahead. Can't get
1: much worse than it has been. And uh, until then, talk to you later. Thanks for your question, Daniel. Be sure to follow Daniel on Twitter at dboyfoy. On Twitter and and I think everything you said there Daniel was on point so Elias I think Daniel sort of really covered off what the Bulls are kind of doing on defense they're really aggressively for whatever reason playing that pick and roll defense quite aggressively to the point where they're blitzing that pick and roll they're switching that pick and roll when the blitz isn't working and it's kind of hard to sometimes ascertain what they should be doing on defense because it's completely all over the place on times there's there's no communication at all so I actually don't know on occasions if the players are meant to be switching because sometimes they are switching when maybe they shouldn't be or maybe they should be blitzing the pick and roll but in 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 that situation they're switching when maybe they shouldn't have been doing that so it's all over the place at the moment so trying to work out what the bulls should be to be doing on a particular set is difficult but clearly they're trying to be more aggressive when guarding that pick and roll and I've I've kind of pointed this out a few times but they're guarding the pick and roll almost as if they they're guarding Stephen Curry or LeBron James or someone else where they're really doubling down on the ball handler to the point where that role man is getting into the lane quite easily. We saw that happen quite a lot against the Knicks. Uh, uh, RJ Barrett and Julius Randle killed the Bulls in that second quarter doing that exact same thing where they were pretty much sending Zach Levine and Larry Markinen into pick and roll. Levine would be guarding RJ Barrett, Markinen guarding Randle and they would just keep playing that pick and roll and, and exploiting the Bulls' lack of defensive ability between Levine and Markin and Andrew. That was really one of the catalysts in the Knicks coming back in that second period and obviously getting back into the game. So the Bulls have been really aggressive on defense. I don't know why they are trying to be this aggressive. Maybe it's part of their plan of getting out there and playing quick, playing multiple ball ball handler system. If they can get out there, maybe cause some turnovers, get into the lanes, get up and down in transition. Maybe that's an extra way that Boylan and Fleming want to fuel their offense by being more aggressive on defense maybe that is part of the plan but I think you can only have a switch heavy defense or a defense that's pretty aggressive in terms of blitzing the pick and roll if you have the caliber of defenders to do so but maybe more importantly you have a team that's experienced in communicating those sorts of switches or those sorts of defensive assignments and I mentioned the Levine and Marken and defense when guarding pick and roll. There is zero communication going on between those two. two. They almost assume that one or the other is to just recognize exactly what should be happening. And clearly, one of them, or maybe both of them, don't know what is going on in these sets because that defense is breaking down so quickly to the point where I think we fans have been quite critical of Lou Cornette and his defense against the Knicks. But he was often left out of position because... The Bulls pick and roll was just getting burnt so easily that Cornet just didn't have enough time or maybe didn't have enough awareness to come over and help and rotate and get away from the rim. He, he is just a rim defender. You can't be asking anything more from Luke Cornet in terms of defense, but he needs to get over quicker. But those initial defenses need to do a better job of protecting the middle of the lane, which I guess is another reason why the Bulls are playing so aggressively on defense is something Boylan has emphasized has been protecting the middle of the lane. And I guess if you are switching and if you are blitzing the pick and roll, then you really can take away the middle of the lane if you do execute properly. But I just question if the Bulls have the right players to execute such a defensive scheme. And if the Bulls don't have that type of players to do so, then Boiler needs to be smarter about this and maybe go back to something a little bit more basic, maybe a drop coverage pick and roll where... Whether Levine goes under the screen, where he goes over the screen, whatever it may be, that is obviously dependent on who he's guarding. But maybe instead of having Mark and blitz out to the three point line or even beyond, or even having Mark and switching onto guards, have Mark and fall back closer to the rim and playing a little bit more traditional style defense, a little bit more conservative. Yes, you're going to have probably less turnovers doing so, and maybe you won't be able to fuel your transition offense as easily. But I think the Bull should be more concerned at this point. We're stopping the ball because even though they're trying to protect the paint, trying to protect the middle, that's still not happening. And that is fueling their bad three-point defense as well, where where the ball handler is still getting inside, creating shots at the basket like they were against the Knicks, where the Knicks had those 25 offensive rebounds or against the Hornets, where they were getting inside and really fueling their three-point offense by getting in the middle, getting the Bulls rotating. We know the Bulls can't defend when the rotations start to become in question, and that was creating open shots for the Hornets. So it's all a bit of a mess. I think Boylan needs to dumb it down. I think he needs to go back to something a little bit more basic and from there build up the defense. But until then, I think if he's going to maintain this sort of switch happy defense or this blitz happy defense, then I think we're in a, a little bit of a world for hurt here. So hopefully that is definitely not something that transpires here. So maybe that is the the, the move or the adjustment that Baller needs to go more to a drop coverage style defense and just sort of steady the chip a little bit because uh, it's completely out of order right now. And maybe they can get a little bit more funky with their defense, a bit more aggressive once they've got the basics under order, which... I, it's surprising that Boylan wouldn't want to do given his stance on offense last season to the point where he completely slowed things down because he wanted them to learn the basics first. Uh, I think the same logic needs to apply to the defense here because this team is completely all over the place. The rotations are all out of whack. And I, uh, I, I question if, they, if this team has the defensive ability to make any improvements on that end. But at the same time, there are some adjustments. adjustments Boylan certainly can be making in terms of a scheme that he should be running. So hopefully that answers your question, Elias. And Dan, thank you for sending in your audio questions. If, if any other listeners want to do the same, just hit me up on an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. Send through your audio question and I will include it on the next episode of the show. But before we get to the rest of the questions, I want to take a quick break to tell you about this week's sponsors. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years and the secrets to a great shave... It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. As a Greek myself, I definitely need to shave quite often. And I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide, all at a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com forward slash for your free trial today. Why use Harry's? Well, it's a return to the essential. It gives you quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. Harry's is just super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription, and there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Just go to harrys.com forward slash to start shaving better today. Let me also tell you this week about ShipStation. The holiday rush is coming and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders or decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're even getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all your major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. That way you'll always know you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60 day free trial. That's two months free of no-hustle, stress-free holiday shopping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. All right, back to the show and back to your question. so, we've talked about Jim Boyle, and I think he is probably receiving the primary amount of rage from Bulls fans at the moment. But I guess another player who's kind of in the firing line right now is Zach Levine. And so let's, let's focus in on Zach Levine and let's hit this question that came in from Sanjay Rao. He, he sent through his, his question via audio. So let's it to Sanjay now.
3: Hey Mark, just wanted to start out by saying, thanks for all you do. Um, the community that you built around your podcast and other work is fantastic and it definitely brings a lot of pissed-off Bulls fans' comfort in some truly painful times. So uh, thanks again. Uh, now to the question. It's about none other than the polarizing Zach Levine. Um, so I'm curious what you would do from a training standpoint to improve Zach's off-ball defense. Perhaps this is a skill that's really difficult to improve, and he's just a lost cause. Um, but assuming he can get better, and you were his coach... What would you do to structure his training to make him improve as quickly as possible in this aspect? Kind of a related question is, are you aware of any perimeter players who have struggled so mightily with their off-ball defense earlier in their careers, but have gone on to improve greatly in this area later in their careers? Uh that's about it. Thanks, Mark. I am looking forward to hear what you think.
1: It's a great question, Sanjay. Thank you for sending that through, mate. And and Sanjay loosely referenced there, the Bulls HQ Discord channel, which like I mentioned from the top, this podcast has been a bit of a therapy session for us Bulls fans, but so too has the Bulls HQ Discord channel. If you want to be part of that, hit me up on email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. We'll give you the link to the Discord channel. And if you want to be up in there with a bunch of other diehard Bulls fans venting about this team right now, that is where you can do it. But to Sanjay's question, and it's a good one because... I don't know if there's much to be done with Levine at this point from a physical standpoint. I think he has all the necessary attributes to be a good defender, mostly off-ball defender. But in terms of coaching, I think where this sort of needs to happen is clearly in the film room. I, I don't know if there's anything that Boylan and Levine need to do from a practice point of view. I think I think it's more about him applying himself mentally and not losing focus and having more of an understanding probably mechanically more than physically as to where he needs to be on the defense, what the defense should be doing and and understanding if his teammate moves this way or that way, then what Levine's reaction should be at that point. So I think it's probably more of an education piece for Levine more so than anything else. So that needs to happen in the film room with Jim Boylan or one of the other assistant coaches. But at some point too, and referencing the second part of your question there, This is year six for Zach, and he's been pretty vocal about him being sick of people talking about his defense and how bad it is and the fact that he considers himself a good on-ball defender. He mentioned that most recently on on the Zach Lowe podcast. So Zach clearly sees himself as a good on-ball defender, but as an off-ball defender right now, he is just terrible. I mean, there's no other way to put it because if you just focus in on Levine, If on these defensive possessions and just see what he's sort of doing on defense, whether he's guarding the action or guarding off ball, he's making so many mistakes to the point where I don't know where he can sort of come off and say that his defense or we need to shut up up about his defense because I don't think that's fair at all. Until he proves that he actually can be a good defender, then that's when we'll shut up. But right now, what we're seeing through four games during the regular season, his defense looks as bad as it ever has been. And it's mainly happening happening off ball. So I think it's more of an education piece more than anything. So I implore the listeners of this show just to watch Zach Levine on defense, particularly when he's sort of on the weak side and where you can sort of see his man just sort of almost break free and Levine will not even know that his man is sort of roaming around potentially on the baseline on the cut but even on plays where his man is only one pass away from the the ball handling play Zach's not even guarding up his man he's sort of allowing his player to get free reign and, and to really and to make a really easy catch when he receives the ball so Levine, his connection to his defender is non-existent. His understanding of where he needs to be on defense, what well, it appears to be non-existent. Maybe he does understand it and he's just losing focus and he's not executing. I don't know what it actually is, but obviously it's quite a problem for Levine. And when, like I said before, when you pair him with Larry Markin and Luke Cornett, that three-man unit currently has a net rating of negative 30 right now, which is something that desperately needs to change. And I guess there's probably no real way for those three to become markedly better defensive players right now. I think the the best way to to make that defense a little bit better is by splitting up their minutes and making sure as coach that Boylan sort of changes his rotation to not have those three guys out there together. But as to whether Levine can improve or if there's been test cases in the past of where players have been such bad defenders and then maybe come around to be average defenders, it often doesn't happen. I mean, if you're bad at defense... And it's more than just a physical limitation, which is clearly not the case for Zach Levine, given he's one of the most athletically gifted players in the NBA. For a player when it's all about execution and focus and just understanding where he needs to be, if a player doesn't have that in mind or doesn't have that understanding after six years being in the league, then I have little faith that that's going to change. I mean, a player like Kyle Culver, who clearly doesn't have the physical gifts that Zach Levine is blessed with, he was noted as a bad defender, but he sort of turned things around in Chicago under Thibodeau because he sort of learnt where he needed to be in a defensive system. And maybe if the Bulls were to be playing a more conservative defensive style of, of basketball, maybe Levine's flaws could be taken away a little bit. But if they're going to be playing this aggressive style of defense, then his flaws are going to be magnified because he really needs to be so much better off the ball and obviously clearly isn't so I don't know if Zach can turn it around like Kyle Corver has I don't know if he has the basketball acumen or IQ on the defensive side of the ball to make that commitment on every single possession I don't know if that's the case again on the low post he really he referenced the fact that he just needs to be engaged more on defense but like I said it's year six if you're saying the same things about being engaged on defense more often at what point does that click or what point does that drop at what point does that happen? So until it happens, I don't think we should be expecting it. And I and I guess what I'm saying here, Sanjay, is I don't think he's really going to improve. And I don't think there have been many test cases out there to suggest that player X did it. Therefore, Levine can do it. I think that there's probably examples out there that aren't springing to my mind just yet, but it's a, it's a rare example. Sorry, if, if a player is, ba- is a bad defender and it's because of their application on the ball more so than their physical limitations, if that doesn't change quickly then it probably doesn't change at all. So I'm not expecting much from Zach on the defensive end, but maybe the Bulls can do a little bit better job in hiding his mistakes and his flaws. So hopefully that answers your question, Sanjay. Thank you for sending that through. I'll shout out Sanjay's Twitter handle, but he he wisely doesn't have Twitter actually. So he's, he's probably one of the few sane ones out there that hasn't subjected himself to Twitter. So he's avoided most of this Bulls Twitter meltdown but having said that he's part of the Bulls HQ discord channel so he's probably getting off his venting rage off in there so thanks for your question Sanjay and then this, this next one I've included it in this section here about Zach Levine and it comes in from Wisco Rob at Rob Niski on Twitter and he didn't necessarily reference Zach Levine here but I thought it was applicable to this Levine chat that we're having right now and he asks I feel like some of the guys have the intentions to try and go out there and, and make the Drama Field Sports Center top ten winning shot versus something practiced or my more high percentage. Do you agree or disagree? And that was a general question that Rob was putting out there about the team more broadly, but I think it relates to it to Levine. Probably more so than anyone, because I think like we saw in that next game, towards the back end of that game, Zach was controlling the offense and he was making bad decision after bad decision on offense in the same way that he was doing in that Hornets game. So to that point, Rob, I think Zach, maybe he's not necessarily going for the sports in a top 10 winning shot, but he's clearly not making the, the high percentage play in these instances. He's either going into the lane and trying to score over two or three guys, Got the blinders on and he's not necessarily passing out to his open shooters or he's taking these deep threes that are coming early in the clock or at least enough time on the clock to get something else to create a better look and those shots while Zach Levine is obviously a very good shooter he can definitely create a better look than that so he's clearly not playing high percentage smart basketball at the moment so I kind of agree with what you're putting out there in the sense that this team isn't really looking for its best efficient shots they're clearly not trusting each other on offense the ball sort of is starting to stick, particularly in the closing moments of games. You can see players like Mark and like Levine going away from the offensive ideals where the ball is meant to be moving and they sort of let the ball stick in their own hands, creating in isolation and unfortunately right now these two players, they're not playing efficient basketball from their own standpoint, but they're not making good decisions either. So mixing all that up together and that's why you've got a pretty bad bulls offense right now unfortunately but let's move on thank you for that question rob this next set of questions comes in about larry marketing and the first one comes in from ritz at round mound no reb so no reb no rebound that's quite a, a poignant twitter handle right now given the bulls were absolutely abused on the on the glass against the knicks the other day but ritz asks why do you think larry is struggling from three is it just a slow start or possibly something technical I've heard some people think it's because he's bulking up, but that feels a bit unlikely. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that, Ritz. I don't think it's the fact that Larry's trying to, to get in the weight room and, and throw on some muscle. I don't think it has anything to do with that. And I, I don't think there's anything technical in, in relation to his jump shot. I think maybe we've overrated how good Larry could be as a shooter. That's not to say he's, he can't at least be a league average shooter like he has been in his first couple seasons, but maybe Larry is never going to be that... That high 30s, low 40s type three-point shooter, maybe he just doesn't have that in his game. I think we're all hopeful that he can get there, but maybe we've overrated his jumper. But having said that, I don't think it's anything technical. He's getting great looks at the basket at the moment. A lot of these threes that he's taking are in rhythm, are at the top of the three-point line. He's getting nice, clean looks as that sort of pop man in the pick-and-pop action and he's just he's just not making them. I, I I don't know what to say beyond that. He's getting great looks. He doesn't look like there's anything technically wrong with him. I don't think it's got anything to do with the fact that he's maybe stacked on some size. So, I think it's just the fact that he's going through a cold stretch now. Obviously, it's not ideal that he's doing that to start the season. I had my concerns with Markkinen initially through preseason because he was just reluctant to take shots or be aggressive with his his own offense, but. In the season, at least, he's looked a bit, a little bit more confident. He's, he's, he's had some variability to his offensive game in the sense that he hasn't just been settling for the three-point shot. But in terms of Lowry's three-pointers, I don't know why he's off the way he is. It is, it is completely weird. Against the Knicks, I, again, that was a problem for Lowry as it's been throughout... The rest of the regular season, I, I don't understand why he he's not hitting at the same rate, but I mean, he went two from six from the Knicks, which is actually probably an improvement of where he's been in the season. He's actually shooting 18.5% from three this season, so that Knicks game actually would have lifted his lowly three-point percentage, so it hasn't been the start we've wanted to see from Larry Marknum, but I think it's more so just about him just missing his shots, missing shots that even if he isn't a 41% three-point shooter, if he can get to 37%, which, are, which is certainly in play and certainly something we should expect for Mark, and a lot, of, a lot more of these threes will go down. But I'm probably more concerned at the moment with Lowry on defense, particularly when he's paired with Levine and Cornet. as I mentioned before. I, I eventually assume these threes will start dropping, but I don't think there's anything more to it than him just struggling right now. So yeah, I don't have a better answer for you, Ritz, but hopefully Larry starts connecting on these three balls. But send, thank you for sending in your question. This next one, again, is about Larry Markner, and this one comes in from at looking at you man on Twitter. He asks, only four games in, but is it time to seriously check expectations for Larry? He's got no handle to play on the perimeter, and he's too weak to play in the paint. Is he a glorified three-point shooter that's actually an average shooter? Is he a wannabe Brook Lopez who can't block shots? Yes, I'm frustrated with him. So that is a question coming in from looking at your man. So clearly down on Lowry's potential at this point. And I don't know what to think about Markin. to be honest with you. I, I, I'm i not someone who thinks the world of Lowry Markin, And that's not to say I don't think highly of him. I think he's going to be a very good player in the NBA. I think he can be an all-star level player in the NBA. But I know there are some amongst us who view Lowry as something more possibly the best player on this team but I don't have those expectations for Lowry and the reason why I don't is for some of the points that you mentioned there I think it's going to be a it's going to be tough for Lowry Markner to be a dominant NBA player because he doesn't necessarily have that ability to to create his own shot at a consistent level we saw him doing that against the Charlotte Hornets but that was an an undersized Hornets team and what the Bulls were doing to get and open in that game was to actually have him catching on the move and getting him moving off the ball to get open and to get into space and get into the paint to get more of his two-point game going. But if you take that away, and you possibly can take that away from Larry Marken when you put a smaller player on him like the Raptors did with Siakam, you can really take away his perimeter game, his dribble-drive game, and that really does make him... almost a glorified three-point shooter. Now, I think his career arc is to be something more than that. But yeah, I understand the frustration. Obviously, Lowry isn't making his shots. Maybe if he was making an average rate from the three-point line, this whole conversation would look a little bit differently. But having said all that, it's year three for Lowry. We're all expecting big things from him. And he's had too many months throughout, well, mostly through his sophomore season where he had months where he looked pretty average relative to expectations so i don't want that to continue with and i think the key with marketing even if he tops out as being just a 19.9 rebound guy is just to be a consistent player to consistently put up those numbers but it seemingly hasn't been the case at least to open this season he obviously had that huge game against charlotte the next two games didn't even hit double digits in points struggled against the knicks as well so more than anything, I just want to see some consistent offense out of and more so than us having to check our expectations for marketing. I just want him to be a consistent player even if that level of player is a more so as a second option or even a third option, whatever that option may be eventually. So long as he can bring it consistently so we know what player we have in Larry Larkin and that's probably more so what I care about because we have seen some really damn good Larry Larkin, we've also seen some bad Larry marketing, but I just want to see a median version. We haven't got that much that often, so I think that is what I want to see. I don't think we should be jumping off the ship just yet. I think once he starts making some of these threes, then Bulls fans will be jumping back on the the bandwagon. But yeah, Larry hasn't been hasn't been impressive, so I understand the frustration there. So thank you for sending that question through at looking at you man on Twitter. Give him a follow on there. But moving on to. Another player who has sort of frustrated me in the front court, and a player that has certainly frustrated our friend here on the show, C Red Fred, is Luke Cornette. And this question here came through from Vincent Wong on the Bulls HQ Discord channel, and he asks, How much rope does Cornet have before we get meaningful Gafford minutes? And this is a question that I get asked all the time. And any time I mention Le Cornet in my mentions on Twitter, the, the first thing that he said to me is, why the hell is Daniel Gaffer not in the rotation? And at this point, I think it's a fair question to ask. Le Cornet was actually decent in preseason. He had a pretty damn good season for the Knicks last season. I really liked the signing. It made sense. I liked his pairing with Thad Young. But for whatever reason, Boylan has been playing Cornette with Larry Markin, which hasn't helped Cornette and obviously hasn't helped Larry either. So... The big man rotation is all over the place at the at the moment. That's one of my primary beefs with Jim Boylan at the moment, the fact that his rotations are just completely wrong. He's playing Cornet and Markinen too, too many minutes together. He's playing Thad Young and Wendell Carter too many minutes together. Obviously, Daniel Gafford isn't getting a look either, but I think another thing that he has to start doing as well is staggering the minutes of Larry Markinen and Zach Levine. So Boylan's rotations are all, all over the place, and I think this defense that we talked about before is exposing someone like Luke Cornett as well, given that he he's not fleet of foot to the point where you can have Luke Cornett out there aggressively defending, and he's not quick enough to really be that help defender at the rim. He's really a stationary defender, so almost like Pau Gasol, where Pau used to drop back down to the rim quite a bit during his Bulls career. That's exactly the type of defender Luke Cornett is, where he's just going to drop back and protect the rim. But the minute you're... Pick and roll defense is broken apart. Don't expect Luke Cornett to get over and help because he's just not quick enough. And definitely don't expect him to get out there and guard in space. And I don't think Gafford can necessarily guard in space either, but he's obviously more active defensively at the rim. He's certainly a much better rebounder. The Bulls have been getting absolutely abused on the glass in those Markin and Cornett minutes. So maybe a combination of Markin and Gafford, that could make more sense, particularly if the Bulls were to stagger Larry Markkinen's minutes with Zach Levine, I think that makes sense. And you have Markkinen go into that second unit more. And if you were to do that, that sort of justifies Gafford's role in this rotation because Gafford plays off Larry Markkinen quite nicely in terms of an offense-defense balance. So I think if Boylan was to start staggering Markin's minutes with into the second unit in the way that he's been using Wendell Carter Jr., I think I would like to see that rotation flip itself then you can justify playing Daniel Gafford. But if the idea is to have Gafford out there with Thad Young, then that becomes quite a problem on the offensive end. And offense has been a problem for that second unit. So I like the idea of staggering Larry Markkinen into that second unit. One, to break up Levine and Markkinen. But two, because maybe that gives you the justification you need to get Daniel Gafford on the court. So... I don't know when Boylan is going to make that change. He's probably going to wait until he absolutely has to. But Gaffer looked good in preseason. He looked really good, actually, in preseason. I think it's worthy of him having a run out there, given how bad the Bulls' defense has looked at times, particularly in that corner-marketing combinations. But as to when it'll happen, I don't know. But I guess the upside of playing corner at the moment is that it's sending old Fred Pfeiffer in a rage. And that is that uh, is that that is music to my ears there, Vincent. So if the upside of playing Luke Cornet means we get some rage tweets from our friend C Red Fred, then I, I'm, I almost kind of want to see it continue, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, thanks for sending your question in, Vincent. And this, this next one comes in from Ross Cooler at R-K-U-H-L-E-R on Twitter. He asks, what makes you worry more? Allowing all these points for bad teams or failing to score against the Raptors? The one good team in the schedule. So I mean the answer there, Ross, is, is, is definitely the allowing all these points from the bad teams. I think the Raptors, despite losing Kawhi, Leonard, are still going to be a damn good team out east and like I said from the top, the the expectations that we had for these Bulls is to come in and sort of wreck some of these bad teams because we expected the Bulls to be a team on the rise. These are the types of teams they should be putting away if they if they're serious of improving, if they're serious about heading to the playoffs. These are the types of teams they need to beat, but the defense against some of these bad teams, and these bad teams actually are bad offensive teams. It would be one thing if they were good offensive teams, but more generally bad teams. But the offenses of the Grizzlies, the Hornets, even the Knicks, these are bad offenses. So the fact that the Bulls have been leaking all these points to these teams, that's the real concern. And to the point where I get worried when we start thinking about the Bulls playing the Lakers or the Rockets or even the Atlanta Hawks, They're games that are coming up in the next couple weeks, they're good offenses. So what is the Bulls defense going to look against those types of offenses, ones that are actually credibly good, given what they've been giving up to, bad teams like the Knicks, the Hornets, the Grizzlies, etc. So, yeah, that is the the primary concern there, Ross. So, uh, I, I'm I'm worried about I'm worried about the defense, even though I expected it to be bad. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in in the coming weeks. But thanks for sending through your question, Ross. The next one comes in from Jordan Tripp at J Trippin Balls with a Z on Twitter. He asks, "How worried should we be about Otto Porter becoming a replacement level player?" Yeah, I mean. That is probably one of the bigger talking points of this season thus far, and the fact of how bad Otto Porter has looked for the Bulls. He looked damn bad at, at, at this point through the opening four games of the season. I don't know what is going on, but we talked about Larry and shooting struggles, but Otto Porter has just been just as bad. 21.1% from the three-point line, 7.3 points per game, only playing 25 minutes per game thus far. He said he isn't hurt. Darnell Mabry had something out on The Athletic the other or yesterday where he had quotes from Otto Porter saying that he wasn't hurt. He, he did reference the fact that he's had hip issues in the past, that he continues to have hip issues, that it's something he just goes through, but it's not affecting him. I don't buy that at all given the fact that Otto looks completely different. He doesn't look like the Otto Porter that we saw last season. I mentioned on the fact, and we were speculating on the last podcast, that maybe Otto Porter is injured and. I just don't know how you watch Otto Porter at the moment and think he isn't hurt right now or he isn't carrying some injury, whether it's the hip or something else. So he clearly doesn't look right to me. As to whether he will become a replacement level player, I I hope not. I don't think so. But he's certainly not at the level that we hoped for heading into this season. And we've, we've talked about the problematic wing depth that the Bulls do have and the fact that Otto Porter is kind of playing at this level just exacerbates that issue. We talked about how bad the wings, Bulls' wing rotation would be if Otto was out, but it's, it's damn bad now even with Otto in there given that Otto is playing so poorly. So I don't think he's going to be a replacement-level player. I think eventually he'll get this thing sorted out. But yeah, right now he does look like a replacement-level player, which is kind of bizarre to say. Given coming into this season, there was a credible argument to be made that Otto Potter was maybe not their, the Bulls' best player, but maybe their most important player. So the fact that he's been this poor has impacted the team's result as well. So it's just a calamity of errors going on for the Bulls right now and Otto Porter being one of the primary ones, unfortunately. But moving on to this next question. Thank you for that one, Jordan. This one comes in from Christian Orozco at Emperor underscore spot on Twitter. He asks, and it sort of links into this Otto Porter question here. Why are the Bulls playing four point guards? I know they lack wings, but three point guard lineups is a recipe for being out rebound. And you're definitely right, Christian. I mean, The fact that the Bulls are relying on these three point guard lineups is kind of problematic. I understand why it's happening. And that's probably one of the rotational choices that Boylan has made that I actually support because the Bulls just don't have a better option at the wing position, unfortunately. And he's probably having to play these three point guard lineups more than what he would actually want to do. Even Shaq Harrison has entered the frame in the last couple games, but he's probably playing those lineups more than he wants to because one... Like I just spoke about, Otto Porter hasn't been great. But two, the, the team just doesn't have that depth, unfortunately, right now. And I guess that depth won't come around until Chandler Hutchinson gets back, assuming he gets back soon. And even when he does get back, looks half decent. But this was always the risk that the Bulls going into the season with. They're relying on guards to play their wing position. And it's just not a smart decision. I know Tomas six foot seven. I know Kobe White can play off the ball at shooting guard. Chris Dunn can defend 1-3". But these are still guards asked being asked to defend bigger wings, and it's just a problem. Like you said, it, it's a recipe for the team being out-rebounded. I think first we should be putting the blowtorch on the Bulls' as big men in terms of not rebounding. But to rebound and to out-rebound your opponent, you have to rebound as a team. I mean, R.J. Barrett had, what, 15 rebounds against the Bulls? R.J. is definitely not a power forward. He's a wing-sized player. He's obviously a big, bulky guy. But allowing RJ Barrett, a rookie in his fourth game, to to come down and pull down 15 rebounds, six of them being offense, then clearly the guards are not doing their job in keeping RJ Barrett off the glass as well. So yeah, you you do raise a good point. The fact that this three-guard lineup is contributing to the Bulls' rebounding issues, but I don't know if they have many other options, unfortunately, Christian. So I don't know what they do in the interim. I think they'll have to make a trade for a wing eventually, particularly if Otto continues to look this bad. Maybe Chandler Hutchinson can come back and, and be a better player than what he showed last season, but he's had an interrupted start to his sophomore season, so I wouldn't be expecting much from him anytime soon. And yeah, Denzel Valentine has not looked like a rotational player either. So wing issues for the Bulls, but thank you for sending that question in, Christian. I want to end on this one, and this one came through from Brian Crouch at Brian Crouch 617 on Twitter. And I wanted to close on this one because I think Brian... Almost sums up our sentiment here as a fan base, particularly after this next game. He, he, he writes in and he says, the last four minutes of last night's game solidified my worries that we're not even close to a playoff team. The last four minutes gave these young Bulls a small taste of a playoff atmosphere with the New York crowd cheering on their team and bringing the noise. And when that happened, everyone tightened up just as was seen in close games this year against the Hornets and even many last year. If we can't close our games to the one of the worst teams in the NBA, Even this early on in the season, we won't even sniff 40 wins. I feel like the entire fan base for the Bulls has put all the eggs in the Lowry-Levine basket, and I feel like the playoffs are a huge reach already given what we've seen. So I think they're all fair and reasonable points, to be honest with you, Brian. Most notably the point that you made about the team in that last four minutes, as I sort of alluded to it before. The team collapsed in the last few minutes against the Hornets because of their decision-making. The team collapsed against the Knicks because of their decision-making too. And that's despite things going wrong for them in other areas of the court, but they were still good enough to have leads in those games. So you're right, their the execution down the stretch has been problematic. That is why they have lost these games. That is why they are 1-3 rather than being 3-1. And I understand why you're questioning the Lowry and Levine combination right now because it has been primarily those two that have been costing the Bulls games. Lowry has obviously been going through that rough shooting stretch, which we referenced before, but his defense hasn't been great either. And then Zach Levine as the primary ball handler, his decision-making has been poor. So I understand the sentiment and that's why I wanted to do this session here. I wanted to get the pulse from the fan base because I think we're all feeling the same things right now. None of us expected the Bulls to be 1-3 and three after four games. I think that's fair to say. I know when I was sort of chalking up the first four games, I expected the team to be 3-1 and one right now. And obviously, they're the reverse. They're 1-3. and three. So I understand your sentiment, Brian. I think a lot of Bulls fans at the moment share it. And I think that's a perfect place to close. Hopefully, things can turn around quickly. Like I said, this is only game four of the season. So time is still on the team's side. They've got the game against the Cavs coming up tonight. They've got the Pistons on the weekend as well. So they're two winnable games for the Bulls. Win those games, you can get back to 500. You can stabilize your season and then go along from there, even if we were expecting a little bit more from them based on what we saw on the preseason. But it's not all is lost just yet. The team has enough talent to be better than this. They are better than this. I'm convinced of that. I don't think this is one of the worst teams in the NBA. They might not be a playoff team. I wasn't predicting the playoffs. I wasn't expecting the playoffs. So I don't think they will get to 40 wins. That wasn't my expectation. But I certainly didn't think they were going to be this this bad either. So I think there's only positive things to come for the Bulls. And they do have the opportunity to right the ship starting tonight against the Cavaliers. So hopefully, fingers crossed, next time I talk to you guys, we're talking about some wins here rather than some disappointing losses. But we'll end there. I appreciate everyone sending through their questions. Whether it was in audio format, that was really cool. That was new to Bulls HQ, so I appreciate those questions coming through in audio form. If you want to send them through, do so by hitting me me up on email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord channel, we're almost up to 100 Bulls fans up in there. Again, email me at bullshqpod at gmail.com to be part of the conversation. I definitely want to see you guys join me up in there. Like I said, almost 100 Bulls fans and we're all raging in there, all venting up in there. So if you want to be part of it, then you're most welcome to join. But should you happen to have some questions for me online, you can do so as well on Twitter at MKHoops. So follow me there, send me all your questions and I'll get them on the show too. So I appreciate the listeners' support. Hopefully I was able to adequately answer your questions. Thank you for sending them through and... Fingers crossed, Bulls fans, that everything turns around. Like I said, hopefully we're talking about some wins coming up and let's get that started against the Cleveland Cavaliers later tonight. But for now, at least, that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for tuning in. Stay with it, Bulls fans. Like I said, it can only get better from here. Well, I assume so, (laughs) hopefully. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Bulls HQ in your feed. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak next time, Bulls fans.